Well, I am so glad you're here on this Thanksgiving weekend, although I got to say it's probably one of the scariest Sundays to preach is after Thanksgiving. How many of you had a little turkey for your Thanksgiving dinner? Probably a lot of you. We're not sure if the tryptophan is all out of your system yet, so there might be a little more nodding or dozing during the service today. But we're glad you're here, whether you're here in person or if you're joining us online or over at our Westside campus. And I'd be curious this morning to know how many of you are actually looking forward to celebrating your next birthday. How many people would be there? Okay, there's a pretty good number there. Okay, the other side, how many of you would just as soon forego the formality of birthday observances and celebrations? Yeah, I get a little amens out of that. Well, I don't know if you know this or not. They've done study after study. It's been proven over and over again. Folks, the more birthdays you have, the longer you live, okay? So that's just how it kind of goes together there, so you don't should worry about that. But I, I really personally would just as soon forego uh, the formality of birthday celebrations, but there is one. There is one particular birthday experience that I will never forget. It was so amazing, but that's because part of that birthday celebration actually included jumping out of a perfectly good airplane, uh, but actually, as, as exciting as that was, what made it even more enjoyable and a memorable as a birthday celebration was that I got to experience it with 11 other people who also jumped out of a perfectly good airplane, but also a number of our family and our friends who joined us for the occasion and cheered us on and celebrated with us. And it made such a, a difference way more meaningful because it was something we experienced together. And so we all rejoiced together, not only in the experience itself, but the fact that we actually all made it through the ground safely. We were high-fiving. And in case you're worried about skydiving, you got to remember it's not the fall that's dangerous. It's just if uh, too sudden of a stop can kind of be a hazard if you don't do that wrong. Well, again, what made it so much better was that it was a shared experience of celebration. And I want you to hang on to that thought uh, because today we're in the final weeks of a semester-long study in Romans chapter 12 that we've been calling the University of Practical Faith. And that's because Romans 12 is really a chapter that is jam-packed with real-time applications of what it looks like for us to live out our faith in Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis in very, very practical ways. And practical faith really is all about being able to apply it, having application, because honestly, it doesn't matter how much of the Bible that you actually know. And there's a lot of people who know a lot of the Bible. And I would have to say, myself included in this, that far too many Christ followers are educated well beyond the level of their application, not really applying it well. So what matters most is how much of the Bible you actually live, how much you're able to incorporate into your daily life. And so our practical application for today that we're going to be looking at could actually, if you weren't careful, be missed because it was mixed in with all those other verses on revenge that Pastor Dave covered so well last week. But today, today, we're going to give verse 15 our full attention in lesson number 10 of our University of Practical Faith. Now, we're going to look at something that on the surface might not seem that hard, but we're going to dig in, and it is can be kind of challenging. So before we take a look at that verse, I just want to remind all of us today, just know that what, whatever God asks of us, sometimes it will be difficult, it'll be hard, it will be challenging. But he actually never asks us to do anything that won't also benefit us 
in the end. It'll be good for others, but it will also benefit us. And so with that in mind, I want you to go ahead and listen to this, again, short verse, uh, about 10 very powerful words from Romans chapter 12, verse 15, where Paul writes and he says, hey, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Then also mourn with those who are in mourning. Now, that sounds simple enough, right? I mean, be happy when others are happy and be sad when others are sad. Got it? Let's move on. You can't move on that fast. See, this instruction to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn sometimes is not as easy as one might think. Even, I would say, on the rejoicing side of the equation. Because all too often, we we tend to kind of view the world and others from our our own vantage point, our own personal perspective. So, for example, how how do you rejoice with a friend who actually got the job you had been hoping for? Or the coworker who gets promoted over you? Or what about rejoicing with those who are moving into bigger houses and are buying better cars when that simply isn't going to be possible for you to do? Not to mention how painful it might be to attend a friend's wedding when holy matrimony doesn't seem to appear to be anything that's on your horizon. Or how about holding someone else's baby when you yourself are struggling with infertility? Or really just celebrating any number of joys uh, if that particular space is vacant in your life. Uh, And that's when I think about some of those times where I've been around someone who's so excited about something in their life, and then I think about how I responded. Because externally, I may have appeared like I was rejoicing with them, but honesty, on on the inside, I I was a little bit jealous. And even though my face might have displayed a smile, my mind was trying to process why they seemed to be so blessed when it felt like I I wasn't so blessed. And I wish I didn't feel that way, honestly, honestly. I really want to be happy and thankful, so happy and thankful and able to rejoice when our Heavenly Father gives good gifts to others that the the thought of feeling left out doesn't even cross my mind, but it does. And I think what I need to remember sometimes is that the the blessings that I have in my life, and honestly, there are many, are sometimes going to highlight the disparity that others are probably feeling in their life at any given moment. And that's on the rejoicing side. When When it comes to mourning with those who mourn, i got to be honest, I'd like to admit that it often feels like I have enough uh, sorrow um, in my life that I'd rather avoid the discomfort of adding any more additional grief to my plate. But you know, if you think about it, rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn really has to do with experiencing and expressing Really those wonderful yet often mysterious characteristics of the human experience called emotions. And we all have them. And they can kind of be complicated and difficult to figure out. In fact, that's why I agree so strongly with the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 139, verse 14. He said, God, I praise you because I am fearfully but also wonderfully made. And what I've been reminded of while preparing for this message is that humans really are very complex and complicated beings with our emotions just adding to the mix in a significant way. I mean, if you get some chance today, Google emotions, just type in emotions, and you'll discover what I did, that there are over 120 different emotions or aspects of them that have been clearly identified. 
And so when it comes to how emotions affect us with so many of them, I think it's a little bit a lot like like allergies. <laughs> I mean, some of us are allergic to some things while other people are allergic to other things. And I think it's similar to how individually we can all have very different reactions to the exact same emotions. And so I thought I might want to mention just a couple of important notions about Emotions, things that we need to be aware of. And the first one would be this. Emotions really are a gift from God that have been weaponized by our enemy. Now, a gift from God, truly they are. Imagine for a moment how boring, how monotonous life would be without the expressive color that emotions provide to our life experiences. Now, the problem with that is that everything God created for our good, we know that our enemy would like to use for our our harm. He'd like to pervert and use against us. And folks, emotions are no exception. And we know that because he works his way into our emotions. Anger is an emotion that is a gift from God. Because oftentimes it can motivate us, give us energy to do things. And yet when we put anger in charge, not very good things happen, right? I mean, that's why uh, James wrote in James chapter 1, verse 19, he said, My dear friends, brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow, not quick, slow to become angry. Because when we put anger in charge, he says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's exactly where Satan wants us to live. And so, you know, the problem a lot of times is instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to be in charge, we tend to give our emotions control over us, which often, often gets us into trouble. And that's why even the Apostle Paul said, again, with the anger in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, he says, hey, you can be angry, but just don't sin. Um, and so don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And, and if, if you do, you'll give the devil a foothold. And folks, that's why I would say emotions need to be properly identified and then acknowledged and then appropriately managed instead of being able to be in charge of our life. And I say that out of kind of experience because honestly, I've recently been allowing some emotions more control over my life than I should. And when I had an opportunity to spend some time alone with God, one of the things he kind of showed me is that I I need to actually figure out just exactly what emotion it is that I am experiencing. And then I need to bring that emotion to him uh, instead of putting it in charge for some resolution. Now, you know, the challenge with that is Man, I I have a little ADHD. I can squirrel off pretty easy. And so that requires time. It requires thought. It requires energy, all of which I feel can be at a deficit at any given time in my life. But I got to admit, it's worth it. It's worth it because emotions not processed, they don't go away. They don't go away. Oftentimes what they do is they go underground and then come out later in some unhealthy ways. And so I'm going to apologize in advance for the unpleasant word picture that I'm about to share because I think some people are actually what I would call emotionally constipated, sorry, because they've just held on to all those emotions. They've not processed it. And so you add another emotion and they have a challenge just even processing any more emotions. Well, folks, God has actually um, set up a way for us to process emotions with each other. And what Romans 12, 15 teaches us is that Christ followers 
are called to actually come alongside others during two very significant emotional experiences in their life. And the first of which is celebration. We get to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's awesome. But the second is that whole area of grief. And we need to mourn with those who are mourning. And that's because God knows that uh, all of both of those things are going to be part of our life experience and they're going to elicit uh, those very same emotions. And we know that because in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you ever read it, you might come up with a really nice song that would go along with that if you think about it. But it says there, there's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time to weep. And then there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. And then there's a time to celebrate and to dance. You see, Romans 15, 12 is clear that the need to express and process joy and celebration as well as grief and sorrow are are actually part of the programming of our human soul and they're actually best accomplished in community. Now, when I say that, I'm going to ask a question here this morning. I'd like you to be as as honest as you can and uh, really kind of hang on to that because I want us to be able to hopefully have some expression of this later in the service. I'm wondering today on this uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving, how, how many would you say you find yourself uh, in a season right now uh, a little bit more on the celebration and rejoicing side of life? Things are going pretty good, and you'd, you'd really like to celebrate that. Okay, good. There's plenty of you there. Now, this one's a little bit harder. How many of you would be willing to just acknowledge today that you're on a little bit more of the grief and the suffering and the mourning side of life? Anybody willing to admit that today? If you raise your hand, kind of hang on to that because I'm going to want to encourage you to be a little bit braver later in the service. Well, we're going to experience both of those things. And so let's spend a little time looking, first of all, at the uptake on celebration. And I've got to admit that, honestly, I'm really not that good at celebration, not as good as I should be. And what that means is I really don't allow myself to fully often celebrate all the good things God has given me. And you got to know God is good with celebration. In fact, celebration actually originated with God himself. And I think we see him doing it very early on in in the earth's existence. Because when you read in the book of Genesis, in in Genesis chapter 1, at least five times, we find God pausing at the end of a creation day's work and actually declaring what he made was what? Whoa, that's good. And I don't think he just went, that's good. I think he went, that is good. I think in celebration of what he had made. And so then when we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and God kind of summarizes the whole week. Remember what he said at that time? It's not just good, it's very, very good. And so God originated celebration, and that's why celebrations occur regularly in heaven. And all you need to know to recognize that is to go to, uh, to, to Luke chapter 15. It's the lost chapter. There's a lost coin, uh, a lost sheep. There's a lost son. And read about that. And it talks about when people choose to follow Christ, that they actually have celebrations in heaven. And in Luke 15, verse 10, it says, In the same way, Jesus said, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We also need to know that rejoicing is actually a byproduct of an authentic relationship with God. When we're in an authentic relationship with God, we're going to rejoice in the Lord. We know that because Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, these words. He said, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And he said, you know what? I better say it again or they're going to forget. So I say again, rejoice. 
Now, I would hope that you recognize that our worship time each week is an opportunity for us to be able to come together corporately and celebrate the goodness of God. And that's what the team is trying to up here encourage us to be able to do. Well, that's the uptake on grief. There is, or on, on celebration, there is the lowdown on grief. And it's lowdown because grief is often painful. And you know, when I come to a, a especially a memorial service where there's obviously grief for the the loss of a loved one. I usually read this following thing because I think it kind of summarizes best what happens there. It says a death has occurred and everything is changed by this event. We're painfully aware that life can never be the same again, that yesterday is over, that relationships once rich have ended. There is another way to look upon this truth. If life went on the same without the presence of the one who has died, we can conclude that the life we remember made no contribution, filled no space, meant nothing. The fact that this person left behind a place that cannot be filled is a high tribute to this individual. Life can be the same after a trinket has been lost, but never after the loss of a treasure. And folks, grief really is the natural response to any significant loss in your life. It's actually part of the way God intends to help us heal from that emotional wound associated with the loss. But when we get into this whole thing of grieving, what we have to remember is that our suffering is not sovereign, that God actually is the one who is sovereign. And, you know, fortunately, the one thing from this life that we know is not going to translate into the next is actually grief. And that's because God is sovereign over it. And one day it says he will eradicate grief from our experience. Can I get an amen? Anybody going to miss that? Not at all. But you know, in in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, that's exactly what the new Jerusalem is going to look like. It says God is going to wipe away every single tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things have passed away. I can hardly wait. But while we're here, grieving is going to be a part of our life experience. And I want to remind all of you today that flooded eyes don't represent a faithless heart. Just because you're grieving and there's tears coming out of your eyes, it doesn't mean that you don't trust God. I mean, God provided grief as the emotion to help us deal with the losses in our life that are inevitable. And part of that actually is allowing ourselves to weep or to cry. According to uh, an agingcare.com study, research actually showed 85% of the women they looked at, 73% of the men, they actually felt less sad and less angry after crying because they were able to release some of that grief. They also learned that on average, women cry, are you ready, ladies, 47 times a year. Men, can you guess how many times? Yeah, actually seven. (laughs) But that was an average, okay? And that means one guy cried none, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But that could be a reason why actually men sometimes struggle a bit more dealing with their emotions than females do. They learned that crying bouts usually last about six minutes on average, and tears are often more shed between 7 and 10 p.m. than any other time of the day. So beware of those moments. But you got to know, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So he's dealing with people who have lost a loved one. 
He said, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And you've got to know here, Paul was not instructing them not to grieve. He was just pointing out that if you're a believer, your grief is going to look different. And the expression of grief is not a sign that you have lost your faith in God. It's simply a sign that the loss you've experienced has brought hurt to your heart and it needs to be healed. And in order to heal it, you've got to be able to feel it. But sometimes we don't want to allow ourselves to feel it. And the challenge with grief is that it's not something that you get over. It's something that you actually learn to live with. And I know some of you are missing some loved ones in your life. And it may have been even a number of years ago and you're still wondering why that grief just keeps bubbling up. Well, because grief... Uh, will we'll kind of you know store up and then it'll have to be released again and again. It's something you need to learn to live with. And I just want to share, if you're having a struggle dealing with grief, because nobody really knows that much how to grieve, there's an excellent ministry tool available here uh, at ACC uh, using the fall and then again in the winter. And we've got one coming up in February. There's a QR code. And once again, if you'd like some information on that, I'll give you permission to take out your phone and click on there if you would like. Because I've had person after person share with me what an amazing difference it made in their life when they went through that and shared with others and then learned some, uh, really some guidelines about how to experience grief. What we need to recognize, folks, is that it's both helpful and healthy uh, for us to have others around us either share their joy with us or experience their pain with us. And anytime we don't have that, that's actually not good for us. Do you know that a lack of, of someone to connect with can actually lead to loneliness and isolation, which have been labeled actually as a public health threat on par with smoking, uh, actually in obesity. And so what we've got to recognize is that it, it, we, need, we need to have connections. Findings in a recent American Perspective survey have reported that four out of ten Americans say they don't have a close friend, someone that they can share their hurts with. And then in a recent Wall Street Journal article, Claire Ansberry wrote about the importance of having other people around us who can walk with us through the highs and the lows of life. And she states, good friends are good for us. They help us get through the bad times, listen to us when we need them, and offer encouragement. Now, I think there's a reason why we've been instructed as Christ followers to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And that's because God actually designed us to benefit from something called attunement. Attunement. It's a big word. Maybe you've never heard it before, but I'm going to try to explain it a little bit. Attunement is actually necessary to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And attunement really involves three components. First of all, it involves just becoming aware of another person's emotional state. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're pretty good when we greet one another to ask people how they're doing and not really expect an honest answer. You might have greeted some people today. How you doing? Good, fine, okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's all right. We, we don't even we don't really respect a specific uh, uh, response, something more on the surface. And so people asking how you are but expecting an honest answer is a little bit crazy. You know, legend has it that U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt actually decided to use a large social state gathering where he was going to be greeting guests to actually see if they were listening to him when he spoke to them. 
So he's got all these dignitaries going through the greeting line is receiving them. And they're coming up saying, how are you? And good to see you and giving their greetings. And he would respond back and say to them, I killed my grandmother this morning. And they'd smile and shake his hand and move on like they never even heard what he said. And finally, there was one lady that went through. And when he said, uh, I killed my grandmother this morning, she kind of was taken back and looked at him and said, well, she must have had it coming to her, I guess. <laughs> so she, she heard it. But folks, this, this is attunement. This is attunement. It goes beyond simply asking, how are you? To genuinely wanting to know. How, how are you really? How, how are you really? And I got to tell with you, one, one of my, I have emotional support people. <laughs> you know, they, they don't have a vest or anything, but emotional support people. <laughs> They'll actually ask me, because they know if, I, if they ask me how I am, they're probably going to hear I've never been better. They'll say to me, how is your heart? And then wait to hear a response from me. So really, attunement just involves becoming aware of another person's state. Secondly involves then responding to that other person in an empathetic way actually hearing what they're saying and listening to it. And oftentimes the first thing we do, we need to do with, some, with, with people who are in grief is simply come alongside them, acknowledge their pain, express our condolences, and then just assure them of our love and our prayers. And I think many of us can probably testify firsthand when we look back on a season where we were going through a hard time or a season of grief, and we don't remember the exact words that anybody said we just remember that they showed up and they were willing to connect with us in our grief. So how might that look on a practical level for you? What might you say to someone? Well, as someone shares how they're really doing, you know, just an honest response would be to say, you know what? That sounds really challenging. And they would feel attuned to. Or you could say, you know what? I can imagine how that might really be difficult. Seems hard. Or from another one would be, hey, from what I'm hearing, you're feeling hurt, you're feeling discouraged, you're feeling disappointed, you're feeling abandoned, and, and didn't just listen to them. Or then finally just saying, hey, this is heavy. Thank you for not keeping it to yourself. And see, attunement means to respond to what the other person is just experiencing and experience it with them, with the result being that the other person feels like, you know what, I'm not alone any longer at this. Someone else is with me, and they get it. And often, you got to remember, people who have never been recipients of attunement themselves may have trouble providing it for other people, even like for you, which means you might actually have to coach someone as to what it looks like. If you ever have an opportunity to get to share how you're doing, you might just want to say to them, hey, I'm going to share how I'm doing, but I don't need any advice right now. I, I would just like to tell you how things are, and I'll let you know uh, if, if you get it, what it is, and, and that's all that I need. And then when we do that, folks, what happens is the other person experiences emotional support. It's like air to breathe. And why? Because they, they're no longer alone. And I think about when God created the world and he had just one man on the planet. When you look at that one man, he, the statement he made was, it's not good for the man to be alone. Because sometimes we need to have people around us. Reminds me of the little boy who's trying to go to sleep one night, but he's afraid of the dark. And so he snuck into his mom's room and whispered in her ear, Mom, I'm afraid. And she said, don't worry, son, don't worry. Jesus is with you. And he thought about it for a minute. And then he looked back and he said, I know Jesus is with me, Mama, but I need somebody with skin on. <laughs> and you know what? Even though God is always with us, 
We're also designed to need someone with skin on. I think even the Apostle Paul understood that. The Apostle Paul was a strong Christian believer, you know, traveled around the early world, planting churches. He got in a lot of trouble too, spent time in prison. And sometimes people would hang with him in those moments, and sometimes he would be abandoned. In fact, one of the things he wrote in one of his epistles was, hey, everybody in the province of Asia has actually deserted me. And then I thought, he probably thought of this one guy. His, guy was, his name was Onesimus. And this guy got his name in the Bible because he became part of an emotional support team for the Apostle Paul. When Paul was alone in prison, Onesimus looked for him. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes this. He said, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He'd show up in prison and be there with me. And I just think over and over again, corporately, we could make a world of difference in the world. Sometimes simply by slowing down, kind of taking an interest in those who are around us that the Lord puts in our path, and then just seeking to be truly present and available to them. And I think one of the things that just interests me in church is because I've had a lot of people who I'll kind of ask how they are, and since I'm the pastor, they'll probably feel open to be a little bit more expressive, and they'll start to get emotional and tear up, and they'll apologize to me for crying in church. And I know that grieving in the presence of others can be embarrassing and uncomfortable, but i got to say, folks, the church should be a place where it feels acceptable to grieve because we've actually been called to that, to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to mourn with those who mourn. And Paul said something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. He says, you know, in the body of Christ, when one member suffers, we all suffer together. When one member is honored, we all rejoice together. And what I would want you to take away from our time together today in this incredible verse is just know it's helpful and healthy to experience and express both celebration and grief actually in community. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then after that, I want you to sit tight for just a little bit because we're going to, we're going to try to have an opportunity for us to be able to do that. But let me pray first, and then I'll explain what we're going to do. Father, nobody knows us like you. You created us fearfully and wonderfully. Thank you for the emotions that you give us given us so that we don't just go through life in a bland, ordinary, meaningless kind of way. And Father, we appreciate the moments when we get to celebrate, when we get to rejoice. But the other side of it is there are going to be moments that we grieve over the loss. I pray that you would help our church family to become a place where we can share, especially those two moments together. That you'd help us to be able to have courage and the strength And really just the love to be able to celebrate with those around us who are celebrating. But also, Father, to be able to grieve, to mourn with those who are mourning. And I know, Father, there are folks here today with some hurts in their hearts, especially as we move into the holiday season, some losses in life that they're still grieving. And I'd pray today that you'd help us to be able to provide just some support and encouragement for them as we close today. And we offer this time, Father, right now to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.